Hi everyone, this is the Supported Sobriety Podcast. I'm Matt, and I'm in recovery from an addiction to pornography. And I'm Katie, and I've been married to Matt and supporting him in his addiction for four years. We created this podcast to bring hope, healing, and greater understanding to both men struggling with pornography addiction and women who support someone struggling with an addiction. I upload episodes for men with pornography addictions. And I upload episodes for the women who are supporting their loved one. We share real stories from members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but anyone is welcome to listen, and we believe everyone can benefit from finding peace through Jesus Christ. We hope that this podcast can bring you closer to Jesus Christ and help you on your journey of recovery and healing. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this episode of Supported Sobriety. Hi, everyone. I'm excited to get to this episode. It's an awesome interview I did with my good friend Carson, but before I dive into that, I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who listened to our first few episodes. We were so excited to launch, and we got a response that blew us away. We are so excited about uh, the feedback we've gotten, the responses we've gotten. I personally am so excited about the responses I've gotten from people that I know who have told me that, Matt, I've struggled with this for 10 years, 2 years, 6 years, and today I told my wife for the first time. Today I talked to my bishop. You know, different stories like that of people starting their journeys or people recognizing that they're not alone in their struggles. And that's been huge for me. So we are so excited about that. Um, And I think with your help, with the help of our our listeners, we can make this something amazing. Um, The other feedback that we got was just that we were a very specific podcast and maybe left out some groups. And I just wanted to address that real quick by saying that we recognize that this podcast is very specific. We had a specific audience in mind when we created it. And that audience... Um, sort of resembled ourselves because we were able to share our own experiences with our audience. And our audience is individuals and couples who have struggled with dealing with the effects of pornography addiction. And what that means to us is women who support their husbands in dealing with pornography addiction. So the men struggle with pornography addiction, the women support the men struggling with addiction. And um, my specific audience could be men who aren't married, could be men who are dating, engaged, uh, married. It doesn't really matter. Um, Katie's audience is obviously for the support people who are supporting their loved one. And while we think that this idea could reach a lot of people in a lot of different groups, we recognize that we are leaving out a lot of specific groups. But for instance, women who struggle with pornography addiction. And we know that that is a lot of women and a large amount of the people that do struggle with pornography addiction. It's just not an area that I have specific knowledge and that Katie has specific knowledge. We recognize also that husbands are often the ones supporting Uh, their loved ones, or parents, or um, different groups like that. And we just wanted to say that we love all those groups, and we hope to reach them through this podcast. We really do feel like our message of hope and healing and receiving strength from Jesus Christ can affect all people, even people who don't have any sort of pornography addiction or any um, sort of hurt that has come from this addiction. But we are going to continue for now to emphasize our specific audience that we recognize being the men struggling and the women supporting. And we do that just because we have experience in this area. This is something that we have gone through. This is something that we go through every day. And we just want to make sure that we are being true to what we have experience in. I could see this podcast expanding into women struggling with addiction, into general addiction, into so many other categories. Um, But for now, we're going to keep it there. I also wanted to give a few more disclaimers, which are the terms we use 
um, addiction, recovery, sobriety, those types of things, any church words that we use. Um, we use that in an effort to kind of mirror the 12 step manual that we use in our addiction recovery programs and the spouse and support guide. We hope that individuals who feel like, oh, pornography maybe isn't an addiction, it's just a compulsion or something like that can still find value in listening to our podcast. And I recognize that a lot of people that struggle maybe don't feel like it's an addiction and it probably isn't clinically an addiction um, for them. But we hope that we can look past that um, as a group and just kind of see the value that working through these 12 steps in the 12 step manual and supporting your spouse in these ways can do. So we'll continue to use those words, addiction, uh, recovery, sobriety. I'll continue to tell you um, it's almost 25 months for me of sobriety, stuff like that. But we hope that you can look past that if that bothers you and just kind of see uh, the message that we're trying to bring. We also hope kind of in light of that to reach you at whatever stage of recovery that you're in and whatever stage in life that you're in. I've alluded to this a few times already today, but a lot of people are at a lot of different stages with a lot of different struggles. And we just hope that our message of Jesus Christ, of hope, of healing, of the gospel, of coming together, we hope that that can help and uplift everyone at every stage. And we know that some of you are married, some of you are single, some of you are divorced, some of you are about to get a divorce. And we just hope that wherever you're at, our message can help you and uplift you. In that vein as well, we invite everyone to seek out resources beyond this podcast. This podcast has a specific purpose that we see, which is to share our experiences and the experiences of others in an attempt to build understanding and to talk about something that's difficult to talk about. But we recognize the necessity for church leaders, family, as well as professional services. So counselors, therapists, actual addiction recovery programs outside of the church um, in terms of like a rehab facility or um, some sort of a program that you can go through. Um, I know Katie and I have gone through couples counseling together and, and those resources um, have been so critical in helping us. And so we hope that you recognize the necessity and the great value that these other resources can bring. Um, beyond professionals and the services that they offer, there are tons of books and other resources out there. And so we invite you to seek out those resources and use this podcast for what it's meant to be used for. So we hope that you can see this podcast for what it is. We hope that you can continue to listen. We see this podcast doing amazing things. We are so excited. We're so excited for our future guests. We've got people who are a few months recovered, people who are a few years recovered, couples, experts, tons of people that are coming on the show uh, in future episodes. And we are so excited to share their stories. But in order to make this what it really can be, and in order to allow this podcast to live up to its potential, we need your help. We need your help to share this podcast with everyone that you know, everyone that you feel like could be helped by this. Please share it with your bishop, share it with your church leaders, share it with your friends, share it with friends who are struggling, share it with friends who aren't. We just hope to get this out to everyone. And the more we've thought about, it, the more we recognized this is a really hard topic to share. And we um, just thank all of you who have shared it so far because it can be really hard to talk about this topic with people and just, you know, do they assume I'm struggling? Do they assume that I assume that they're struggling? There's there's just so much there, but we just, we ask and invite everyone to share it because if this can get out to more people, we can help more people. And that's our firm belief. And that's why we're doing this. So we need your help to rate and review this podcast, share it, and to be ambassadors for this healing and this hope that we can find through Jesus Christ. And a great focal point for that is 
is going to be this podcast. And so we are so grateful for everyone and for all you've done. Now I'll let you get on to this episode. It's an interview that I do with my good friend Carson. I have been sponsoring Carson now for about six months. I met him at an online or like an, a phone um, addiction recovery meeting. He asked me to sponsor him and we have been connecting and calling and texting and working together to get him through this addiction and, uh, and into recovery. Um, I'm really excited about this episode because Carson shares a lot of his testimony, a powerful testimony of the Book of Mormon and how that's helped his recovery. He also shares a little bit about how to disclose these difficult topics of addiction and struggling with people that you love in your life. So I'm excited to share this interview. Please enjoy this episode. How are you doing, Carson? Doing great. Glad to be with you this morning. Thanks for letting me come on and share a little bit of my experience. Yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me today. Um, why don't you tell us just like a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background, what you're up to right now? Yeah, sure thing. So I was, uh, I was kind of, I was born into a military family. Uh, my dad was in the army. Um, so I was born in, in Germany and then uh, came, came over to the United States and lived in a couple different states in Florida and Kansas and Virginia. Um, and then eventually my family kind of settled down in Florida. Um, and so I, I had kind of like a transient upbringing, uh, lived in a lot of different places and, and dealt with things like that. But then uh, I, I started off going to BYU Hawaii uh, and I played college golf out there for a little bit and then left on my mission uh, after that experience. And uh, then I, I came back and decided that I wanted to try to get a good education. And then so I, I came to BYU and applied to the accounting program and didn't really know what I was getting myself into, but. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and for, for those listening that don't know, I also graduated from the accounting program at BYU. So I, I know a little bit about that, but uh, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's brutal. That was a really cool thing. Then when we first uh, connected, I was, I, <laughs> that, that was a really deep connecting factor. And yeah. Um, when you go through something difficult, it's, you know, the accounting program is one of those things. And so it's really helped me to connect with Matt in that way. So cool little thing there. But cool. yeah, and, um, and ever, you know, ever since then, I've just been um, learning, learning from Matt and, you know, going through this experience with you. So that's awesome. Yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that. That's, that's cool. You played college golf. I actually, I don't remember if you told me that before. Yeah, I, I don't like to tout on it too much because then you know, people expect a lot from me, but they really yeah. shouldn't. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, my golf game's pretty weak, but I, I do enjoy it um, quite a bit. I, I tore my pec actually last, um, <laughs> like last September. So I haven't been able to do like any recreation, like kind of golf or like any winter sports, which is a huge bummer right now, but I'd love to get back into playing golf and stuff this summer. So man, yeah, that's, it's, it's a fun sport. It's tough to do in Utah in the winter, but I'm from Florida, so maybe that's where I'll end up one day so I can play it all year round. Yeah, maybe like you and Donald Trump can just go down there on the golf course and just <laughs> play all day. <laughs> I don't know. He, you know, funny story. I know this is a little off track, but I actually did see President Obama on the golf course one time. <laughs> wow, that's nuts. Was yeah. was he just like surrounded with like uh, Secret Service and stuff? Or I mean, they, they're probably yeah. bushes, honestly. Oh, uh, no, they were everywhere. There was like probably 40 people surrounding just two people playing golf this uh obama and the prime minister of malaysia and uh what? yeah it was it was a fun experience we had to get we had to get wanded by the secret service to make sure we weren't doing anything funny so 
Oh man, that's actually nuts. Huh? Yeah. That'd be such a different life, man. Just <laughs> to have the, have just that much complication to go. Like, I think it's complicated to get like my kids in the car and like go to the store, but like, can you imagine <laughs> just having secret service on your own? I know. And the crazy thing is that they stay with them even after they become president. So it never ends. Yeah. That's nuts. Wow. Yeah. It makes you, I guess it makes me think of kind of what the sacrifice it would be to become the president, but I don't know. That might be an unpopular opinion. So that's cool. Well, it's good to get to know a little bit about you. I'm excited to, to talk with you today to talk about addiction and, and your story. Um, I'd love to kind of get a background on your story and just kind of hear, hear your story a little bit. So do you want to like, tell me a little bit about your addiction, like where it started and kind of how it's progressed since then? Totally. I, I really quite honestly don't know if I remember the age that it started, but I believe it was somewhere around when I was 13 or 14. And I was just, you know, with a friend and we decided that we wanted to, to look up something bad and, I remember we got caught in that experience of um, like viewing pornography for the first time. And it was maybe for like 10 seconds, but you know, to my mom's credit, I think she knew that something was going on. And I I think what that planted in me was, you know, this, I I like the rush um, that it gave me. And that was kind of where I think the addiction began. And I didn't start using, um, you know, on a regular basis. Um, or viewing pornography on a regular basis until, you know, a little bit later until when I was, um, you know, like uh, maybe six months after that. Um, but, but that was kind of the moment, you know, where, where it hooked on. Um, and, you know, ever, ever since that point when I was, you know, younger, it was a very secret thing. Um, my parents, you know, didn't know about it. And, and I, it was really just me um, that understood it, me and God that knew that uh, this was, this addiction was going on. And so it kind of set this really seeding ground for this addiction to sprout uh, when I was younger. And I'm sure that's um, similar to how others uh, had their addiction uh, begin. Um, but then when I was uh, about 16 and a half, I, I had this, um, I had this moment um, when I was at church, uh, and, you know, we had some of our ecclesiastical leaders come in and speak to us about, you know, someone that was struggling with, uh, this issue or an issue with the law of chastity, um, and how they should feel comfortable opening up to an ecclesiastical leader. And, you know, I remember my, my bishop got up and he said, if you ever need to come talk to me, just come and tug on my, my coattail. Um, and I'll know what you want. And then we can, we can go and discuss this. And so that there was a Sunday that was like the, really the first time that I, I opened up to my Bishop, um, about what was going on, uh, the whole church meeting. I had these feelings just overwhelming me that I, that I needed to tell him. And by the time that I actually did walk up to him and pull on his coattail I, I was like fully shaking <laughs> because of how how nervous I was to invite another person into this element of my life and and try to begin the path of of not wanting um to view again but that, wow, that's, that yeah that, it's just so interesting um that's very similar to how my first instance with my bishop kind of came out about the same age and roughly the same scenario of um, an ecclesiastical leader telling me it was my stake president, though, um, 
you know, if you ever, you know, need to talk to someone or whatever, you want to go on a mission, like it, it, like pretty much anything you've done, um, you know, you, within a year, you should be able to go out. And, and it was sort of like one of those instances that I was like, okay, like, I guess I could go talk to him and, and, uh, you know, things would be okay. So it's really interesting to hear that that worked for you too, just because I don't know, I feel like maybe, you know, it's, it's like, when you kind of hear that something is working maybe to keep doing it. So I don't know, maybe you and I are anomalies, but I think that's interesting. No, I think, I think you're right. But I, I can tell you that that experience with the Bishop was quite a liberating experience. I just opened up to him completely and, and he quite honestly did not have much of an understanding of an addiction to pornography or even how to deal with that situation. But, but what he did have was, was love and understanding. And, and so he, he gave that to me and it was a free feeling that I think sparked recovery for me, but it, it didn't stop my, my use um, of the addiction. It was just kind of a, an opening up factor that really helped me. That's awesome. So where do things go from there for you? Yeah. So, you know, from that point, I, I actually still just continued to struggle. I visited with him a, a couple of times um, and he, he asked me to, to tell my parents. And so I, I did, I sat down and I, I talked with my parents and, and told them the first time, um, which maybe was even more <laughs> scary than talking to my bishop. Uh, Cause those are the people that I, you know, lived with on a day-to-day basis and everything, you know, has consequences around the house. Um, and my, you know, my dad being, you know, a military person, my mom, she was, uh, raised in the south they both had kind of different reactions my mom is more of this tender person my dad is more of this uh, strict strict and and loving by by showing you that he really cares about you and that the rules matter I'm sure you can get kind of the feel um, for this and they they also had no idea how to to deal with you know one of their sons opening up about an issue like this I, I think it hit them so hard uh, when I when I told them I, I remember just my mom was in tears and then my dad was confused and then came to me and asked me to come upstairs and just gave me a really deep talking about how doing something like this would could ruin like our family name and to me oh. that was not the, not the message that I really um, needed to hear at that time it was more of a message of like I don't necessarily understand this. So I might try to, you know, it felt like to me, he was trying to scare it out of me. Um, yeah. And I don't know if my, if that was the most helpful thing, you know, for me at that time. Yeah, that's interesting. So, I mean, it sounds like from your Bishop, you know, he didn't know much about it, but he at least gave you love and support. It sounds like your mom gave that to you as well, but maybe from your dad, you, you didn't really get exactly what you needed. Um, and to his credit, I mean, I, I do think he was trying to do the right thing. And, you know, he was doing something, trying to do something in your best interest as well, but maybe didn't hit you like the way that you kind of had wanted that to hit you. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I should say, I do have a, a really good relationship with my dad, but again, it's what he knew how to do. I don't think he knew how to react in, in any other way. And so you're right. He was acting in the best interest of me and him. Uh, but what it, what it eventually did and, I'm sure that others can relate to this is it, it caused me to close off, you know, even more um, and to want to represent myself like I was doing well when I really wasn't, um, which is a form of dishonesty. 
Um, and so my parents never really followed up with me after that. They just wanted to make sure that I was visiting with my bishop. Um, but but from then on out, I, I think the fear kind of overcame them and they didn't want to interact anymore um, with the addiction. And so I just kind of dealt with it um, on my own. And I, I really continued to, to struggle with it in on and off periods until I left for college for the first time to, to head out to BYU-Hawaii. Um, and, and there at BYU-Hawaii was where I actually experienced my first period of sobriety. And so that, that BYU-Hawaii was a really major, major time for me there. So yeah, talk us through kind of what, what led to that sobriety and what was, I guess, what was the difference between, you know, being at home in high school and, and being at, at college in, in Hawaii? Yeah. One, one I think that, you know, jumps to my mind is just a, a change of setting. You know, um, outside of what was going on with my, you know, my emotions and how close I was to God was just that I literally was transplanted from where I lived in Florida across the Pacific Ocean uh, to Hawaii. I was able to think freely for myself. I felt more like an adult and I was away from the associations um, that were originally connected with my addiction. You know, the friends and family that I was with all of the time um, that quite frankly stressed me out and triggered my addiction. Uh, that, that I think had a, a part with it, but there was also a, a very major um, spiritual element involved as well. So I remember that when I, when I got there, I remember that I, I wanted to make a commitment to myself that I would not view in Hawaii. I felt like I was turning a new page in my life, but there was one night where I, I was beginning to feel very tempted and was about to view. And, you know, I, I was like right on the brink of, of viewing. And I, I think I had begun, you know, to, to search something that was wrong. And I remember just having this feeling of just stop, like, this is, this is not what you want to do. Um, and, and that moment of stopping really, really shook me up um, that I was about to view again. And it sparked me into going and opening up to a new bishop a new ecclesiastical leader, which was scary in its own right, um, but an ecclesiastical leader who put me on a path and understood this addiction a little bit more to, to really lead to um, my, my first period of sobriety. So yeah, my bishop was uh, this, this little Fijian man, um, and you can't let his size misrepresent how strong his, his personality was and his passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, he had a lot of fire, uh, and I really, really appreciated it. I went in and, and told him for the first time, and, and he responded with a lot of love, but a lot of expectation for me. He asked me one question. He asked me, how is your reading of the Book of Mormon going? Uh, and I told him, you know, I will probably read maybe once or twice a week, and when I do, it's for a, a long period of time, like one or two hours. I would tend to try to accommodate for missed days by just reading one giant chunk of the Book of Mormon. And I, I don't know if my heart was really in it. I was, I was playing on the golf team and I, I had a zero track mind towards uh, being a good golfer and not necessarily um, understanding the truths that were in the Book of Mormon or, or coming to God. So he, he's then invited me to pause and start reading my scriptures once daily. 
I think that was the key factor um, to me having my first period of sobriety was that consistent reading of the Book of Mormon each day. It, 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 brought a, it brought a new power into my life that's really quite difficult to put into words, um, but an ability to not be tempted uh, by the same stimulus that I used to be tempted by. And that's what, what led up to the sobriety that, that stayed for you know about eight months before I, I left on my mission. Yeah, that's awesome. I really love that testimony of the Book of Mormon and uh, its power. And I think we hear so often people kind of on the other end of the spectrum saying, you know, just praying and just reading, that's not going to get you through addiction. And I think in some, in some ways that's true. And in many ways that's true. Um, but I think in so many ways as well, the Book of Mormon and, you know, just developing faith um, are just so instrumental in connecting with the savior and, and getting power from him. That's to me is really, is real intangible power as well. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And the funny thing is that that has not changed for me. The book of Mormon is still that factor, you know, to, in my recovery. Yeah. Yeah. You've talked to me about that um, a few times and I'm, I'm, it's, it's good to hear kind of that initial story of kind of how that came to be. So it sounds like you kind of had some sobriety um, and then you were able to go on your mission. Um, I think quite honestly, the Lord required less of a repentance process from me before my mission to get on my mission than he, he is now currently. <laughs> um, I, I think he's kind of saying now it's time to, to really understand what this issue is because I, I really didn't even understand it at that point. I just uh, became sober and was coming closer to God. Um, but I hadn't addressed many of the underlying issues that caused the addiction in the first place. That that happened for me um, after the mission. Yeah. So talk to me about where things went from there in terms of your addiction. But my sobriety lasted in, until the end of the mission. Um, and and I remember even the towards the end of my mission, even the thought of going home made me a little bit scared because I knew that it was going to be way more of a temptation. And, and so, you know, I, I think it, it, it really did, but I experienced a period of about nine months post-mission of, of sobriety, um, where I was just kind of floating on cloud nine and getting back into life. And then once I came back from, from college um, for a Christmas experience, I think uh, whether it was family stress or just being back in my old home where I was, um, brought it back and I and I uh, relapsed about nine months after my mission. And that kind of began, you know, the second stage of my struggle with the addiction, which has been, you know, the real taking the bull by the horns and trying to understand this thing um, and, and conquer it as a, as a mature return missionary. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I feel the same way. Tell me about how things kind of went after your mission and where your addiction um, kind of has gone from there. So I, I, I continued, you know, um, to struggle with the addiction and was too scared to go to 12-step meetings and was open with my ecclesiastical leaders about it, but uh, sort of deep down knew in my heart that I needed to take larger steps, you know, in my mind was actually doing the 12-step program um, and engaging myself in recovery meetings, but was just way too scared um, to, you know, engage in, in any sort of interaction like that. For me, I thought I had the pride in my heart that, you know, I'm, 
I'm smart enough. I'm wise enough. I, I'm strong enough to deal with this just by talking to my bishop. And maybe, you know, maybe some people are, um, but that was not the case for me. I, I had to have that pride uh, slowly peeled off away for me to, to understand that, man, I really do need to open up to, to real people who have struggled with this before to understand how they got over it. Because um, what I'm doing right now is it's not working. Um, all the all my efforts are becoming feebler and feebler as time goes on, as this addiction becomes uh, stronger and stronger. So that was, yeah, that was a major uh, humbling point for me was realizing that I needed to go to those 12-step meetings. So talk to me about where things went from there. Yeah, so I, the, I, I had an experience just, knowing that I needed to go to a 12 step meeting after I met with, um, a bishop, you know, and he had, he had told me, you know, that I think this is the next step for you and I want you to go when you're ready. Uh, but here's the information that you need. And I think I spent like four weeks mulling over whether I should go or not. Um, and, and then, you know, I decided this is, this is really something that, um, I need to do. And I think, up to that point in my life, I, at least at that moment, I felt like this has got to be the scariest moment that I've ever experienced in my life. I have no idea if there's going to be some of my friends in that meeting. And it was an in-person meeting, you know, before COVID. Um, I had no idea what was going to happen in there. Um, I I just was so scared. And I, and I told God that. And um, he he was kind enough, I think, to kind of nudge me along and, and, and get me to go to that meeting. Um, that first meeting is just one that I think you just got to get out of the way. You're going to be in shock with, I think, what you, the love that you feel and the camaraderie um, that you feel among the people there. I think that was the biggest thing was hearing other people just be so vulnerable and so without pride about their addiction. Um, and just opening up about the struggles that they had just with that week, the small things that they, they struggled with to me, just, um, it just turned a new page. Um, and, and, go, and then going to those, uh, 12 step meetings subsequently, they just became less scary. Um, they were less intimidating and, um, you know, I, sometimes they're still scary to me. Um, there's some weeks, you know, where if I miss a week because I, I deprioritize it, it's a little bit scary, you know, to hop back in there. Um, but I think that that feeling of fear starts to subside as you uh, get to know people and connect in those meetings. Yeah, man, I that's awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. It is it is so hard to for my first meeting, my wife basically kind of sprung it on me like last minute, just, hey, there's a meeting in 30 minutes. Like, let's go, you know, <laughs> Okay, like I don't have to think about it, I don't have to stress about it, I don't have to worry about it. Um, but yeah, like uh, coming from someone who now I, I facilitate these meetings like a lot, when everyone there is struggling, um, you know, in some way, and it's often the same way as you. Um, and then everyone there just is, is there, you know, for themselves to to learn, but also just to like build up other people. And so it's just, it couldn't be a more welcoming and like you said, more vulnerable or like, you know, kind of um, like humble, just without pride, like kind of group setting. Yeah, you're totally right. Some of the, some of the best people I know, I think I've met in, in those groups. And I remember feeling like, and even though these groups are, you know, such a good thing, I, 
is my addiction actually applicable, you know, to some of these people? And part of the meetings is where you break out and you, you get in smaller groups, um, at least when we were in person and you, and you start to share um, your personal experiences, how many days you've been sober for. Uh, and I, I just remember almost every time I felt like there was someone would share their experience of what they felt that week. And I was just nodding my head up and down just because it connected so deeply with the feelings that I had that week, the, the feelings that I couldn't open up to anybody about because they were just so unique. And so what I felt were weird, you know, in this addiction, you feel things that you feel you're the only one that's probably felt that or you're the only one that's that weird and is struggling in that way. Um, and those meetings help you to know that no, you're not the only one. Um, and it's, it's not actually that what you're going through is, is not actually that unique. People have, have gone through this before and have recovered. Yeah. Thanks for sharing all of that, all those details. I hope that helps someone listening. Um, there's someone listening that, you know, really, really needs to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to that person, I would just say, look up when the time is and just go, um, and you'll, you'll thank yourself later for it. You know, your stress levels that night won't thank you for it, but <laughs> it's one of those, those humps in life that will be like a milestone for you and you'll be glad that you did. Yeah. And I mean, for me, just walking into a meeting, it's, a, it's a little bit, a little bit like walking into the temple. It's, I mean, it's very different, but it's, there's just like a new, a, a spirit that's there. And I think it's just the spirit of being vulnerable of being, you know, everyone there just there's just such a lack of judgment there. Like there's almost nothing I feel like that you could say that would really shock people there. Just cause like you said, when, when people are talking, you know, everyone's just nodding their heads cause everyone's feeling the exact same things um, to a degree. So. Really? Yeah. I mean, the toughest days are when you're on day zero, you relapsed that day. Right. And you got a meeting that night and you're like, Oh man, like, am I really about to go to this meeting and tell everybody I'm on day zero. And I had those days. And it was so cool to see how much love came from them on those days because every single one of them had been at that point. There's no, you know, there's no like this guy who'd been recovered for over a year was the person who, you know, would come up to you and be like, listen, I know exactly what that felt like. <laughs> and um, it's just, it's cool and, and comforting to me that even on the day that you relapse, you know, you could go to that meeting and still feel welcome and still feel loved. Yeah, that's awesome. So you went to your first meeting and, um, and just kind of tell me about where things went from that point. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I went and I wish I could say I was perfect in my attendance, but I, I really wasn't. And I didn't get that. We needed to be like constantly working in the booklet. Um, and so I think it took me like a month or two to really understand like, okay, this is good to go to meetings, but I also have to be doing some work at home, some homework. Um, and that's when I started to work through the questions in the booklet and read what's written in the booklet. Um, and I've, I've really started to look at that as, as almost scripture. It's, it's quite gold. Um, the things that these recovered addicts, um, along with church leaders have combined and written in this booklet. Um, and it, and it really started to, to give me hope. So I, you know, since then I've started to work through the steps, um, and you'll, you'll find that there's certain steps are a little bit more roadblocky than others. Um, I've gone through steps one, two, and three right now, 
and I would say I'm about halfway through step four at this point. Um, and when you when you read step four, you'll kind of understand, um, you know, that it takes it, you got to dig in your heels a little bit more on this one, or not dig in your heels. <laughs> you gotta um, you gotta open up um, to yourself about previous experiences um, that you that you've had. And so, you know, that's that's kind of the stage where I'm at. Is I have been going to the meetings for about eight months now. And, um, I, you know, I've been participating and I'm, and I'm on step four and I've been happy with my progress and at times I've been frustrated with my progress. Um, but, but I can, I can talk to a lot of, you know, the joy already that I've felt in completing, um, step four, but I'm, I'm still, you know, right in the middle of my first run through of the steps. No, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, so far I've, I've interviewed, um, you know, only people who have finished the steps who are like well into their recovery. And so it's, it's refreshing to me to hear from someone who's kind of like early in, in the, in the steps and like recovery and stuff like that. And I just think, um, I don't know that so many thoughts enter my mind about that. Just, you know, about how we should always just, you know, help new people. And, you know, if you ever have a question, it's not a dumb question and stuff like that, but um, no, it's, it's good to hear from, um, from you from that perspective. Yeah. I mean, to your credit, I, I didn't have, you know, what a support person was. I, I remember going to the meetings and I, I heard the word sponsor thrown out and I was like, Oh, do you get like sponsorships from like Adidas? Like, you're like Nike, this is pretty cool. I just, I really didn't know what the word sponsor meant. Um, and then, you know, I kind of talked to people and, yeah, they're like, I was like, how do you get a sponsor? And they're just kind of like, you just talk to somebody and you, you know, you hopefully find somebody. And I remember I, I was like, I really don't know that many people in my personal life that are struggling with this addiction. I hadn't really opened up to my friends about it. And so, you know, I'm sure they, you know, they maybe have been struggling with it, but they might not have been in a position to, to really be a support person for me uh, and talk me through recovery. But to your credit, Matt, you know, I was in one of these phone meetings afterwards and he just, at the end of the meeting, which I think is a very crucial time is at the end when you get to, to chat with people, he just says, hey, you know, if anybody is looking for a support person, just let me know. Um, and, and so I got his phone number and we texted and then we got on the phone and little did we know that, you know, we'd gone through a lot of shared experiences of being in BYU's accounting program and would actually connect like that. Um, but I can't really overstate how much of a help it is to have a support person that is not necessarily connected to your personal relationships in life. That's like a family member or um, someone that you're interested in dating or your spouse, um, but is separate from those relationships and understands what it's like to recover um, from these things. Um, that, that to me is such a a sweet gift to have um, to, to communicate with someone like that. Um, and to anybody who's like looking for someone like that, I, I really am thankful for Matt because it, I think it was like about a month where I, I just knew that that was the next step that I needed was a support person. And I, I prayed pretty fervently that I would be able to find somebody um, that I could, that not only had been through this, but someone that I could connect with, you know, and um I just remember the first phone call that we had uh, after, you know, I'd, I'd met with you and I knew that, that it was, you know, God's answer to a prayer that um, I had connected with you and I, I opened up to you about where I was in my recovery and what I was struggling with. 
And I just remembered <laughs> one of the first things that you said was, I know exactly what that feels like. I, I've, I've been through, I did that exact thing. <laughs> to me, yeah. that, that was a really connecting factor was it wasn't just like, I know this is hard. I know you're struggling. I know you're hurt. It was more than that. It was, I've done that. And to me, that was like, wow, you've done that. Um, and, and you know how to move on. It just made me so badly want to be where you were. It, it made me realize like, this is possible. Um, and that's, that's just the power of a, of a support person. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And I, I'm, I'm trying to do a thing and my dream would be to create almost like a network for support people. So the two things that I guess I want to say, they're kind of plugs or um, I'm going to have in the, the show notes for this episode. Um, I guess I think an email is the easiest way to go. It's probably an email, maybe a link to like social media where people who are either support people um, or like willing to sponsor and people who are looking for sponsors can like email and um, just kind of like, you know, Hey, I'm looking for a sponsor. Can I find one? And then I'll have people who are willing to sponsor also be there as well. So I can connect them. I'm, I'm really excited about that. Um, and then I guess my other plug here is just that, um, you know, for you, Carson, for anyone listening, you know, once you get through the program and you've done the 12 steps and, you know, you have some decent sobriety um, and you feel like you're in a comfortable place, like my, and it's not, it's not right for everyone and not everyone can get to like a place where they feel comfortable with this, but with my, my, hope and prayer would be that, um, you know, you and others stay to some level in the program enough to be able to sponsor other people. And that's, to me, that's part of step 12. But um, I, I feel like it's, it's hard when, you know, you, you kind of recover and you're like, hey, I'm good. Like, I, I don't know if I need these meetings anymore. And maybe you really don't. And then kind of people start disappearing. And then there's, there's not a pool of people to sponsor. So yeah, I just invite everyone to keep going and, and, and sponsor people. And maybe you don't go to the meetings, but I don't know. I had to go to the meetings and find people. So I, I, yeah, I really hope that I can get, get to a point like that where I can, you know, be that for people because it's been such a help to me. It's just seems like a natural progression of how to, how to give back. And I think it's a novel idea to have a network like that. I think it's important to remember that as we are learning about our own addictions, the world and the church are slowly learning and adapting as well and trying to come up with, with ways, but it's, it's, we still have to remember this is also so new that we're starting to understand how big of a problem this is and how much help people really need. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Well, I appreciate you bringing that up. So, you know, before we kind of wrap this up too much, I, I'd love to kind of discuss something together, which is just kind of the, the process and, you know, effects of opening up to other people, um, specifically opening up to them for the first time. Yeah. And it seems like, I guess like most addicts and most people you've, you know, you've opened up to various people, you know, at various times, your, your parents initially, your Bishop, I guess, very first, um, you know, your girlfriend uh, at ARP meetings um, opened up to me as well, you know, as your sponsor. And so I I guess I just kind of want to ask you some questions about that. um, If that's all right. Sure. Yeah. So I guess there's two, two parts for me of, of knowing who you want to tell, and, and maybe that's not even that important, but um, once you like know that you want to tell someone or that you should, um, kind of how have you like gotten the, the courage to tell them? Because I think there's so many times when I know I should tell, you know, this person, whether it's your wife or my wife or my, my mom or I don't know, my dad or something. 
um, and then actually telling them. And, and in some cases, especially for me, it was like a year, years of, you know, I, I know I should tell my bishop or my parents, but I don't do it for years. So how have you like kind of gotten the courage or gotten yourself in like a, a mindset to actually tell them? Totally. Yeah. I've had those experiences as well. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm dating someone currently and I, I've, a lot of the times when you have a significant other, they're, they're going to want a certain level of accountability um, and you're telling them and you have to work that out with them, uh, what that level of accountability is, whether it's telling them, you know, within the day or within the week, you know, that you struggled and I don't know the perfect answer there. Um, but I've definitely had my fair share of experiences where I think maybe I, I told them at the wrong time and they were just having a bad day and, um, and they reacted quite honestly in a way that I judged myself as a very poor reaction. And, you know, they just kind of snapped. And to me, to me, those experiences, uh, I, I, I questioned like whether I was worth it to tell them. Um, but my commitment to honesty was like, what reminded me like, Hey, you, you told them that you were going to say this. And so I, it was, it was a weight off of, off of my chest. I think kind of the key to when somebody is, not reacting in the way that you want them to is is realizing that um, they have every right to feel hurt um, in those instances because uh, you've hurt them uh, you've you've done something that you don't you're not feeling what they're feeling um, and this addiction causes you to believe that you're the only one that you're affecting through it um, but it's it's changing who you are and and it's in effect affecting everyone that you interact with and especially those that you're really close to and so it's okay for for people to be hurt um and i just as okay just as you need to feel hurt in your own addiction and when you relapse um it's okay to that someone else is hurt so i think just not feeling not feeling like it's wrong for them to react uh, in a bad way it has been kind of important for me um, to remember even those experiences. I don't know if I'd necessarily call them positive experiences, but I, I try to live up to them because of my commitment to be honest with those people that I love in my life. Yeah, I think that's great. And just a few, a few thoughts that I've had, um, you know, listening to you talk are that um, obviously it's, it's up to the individual, like who they want to share with. And, you know, I, I always think that for me, at least, you know, opening up to more people, in more situations uh, is always beneficial to me um, or generally beneficial. But, you know, for you in your specific situation or not even you, Carson, but for our listeners, you know, it's, it's just totally on you, if you, you know, whom you want to tell and when. Yeah, I think just adding to what you just mentioned, you know, to I think we're lucky because we have people in our lives that are reacting positively, but I think there are those who struggle that really don't have like they, they at least they feel that there's a lot of people in their life that wouldn't respond positively or they've already experienced that and i think that again is a blessing of having a group of people in the 12-step group okay. um, that because there i mean we can attest that your percentages of having people that are going to respond in a positive way are, are really good <laughs> yeah. um, and and even if it doesn't exist in your personal life there are places where you can go where people understand and are merciful um, and, and you need to go to those places because if you're not in those places and you're constantly getting, you know, negative feedback, uh, when you open up about your addiction, it's just, you need to, you need to try to 
go to a place where you're going to get that good feedback because that is a, that's a huge part for me. Yeah, totally. I agree. Um, I just want to ask you, cause you kind of talked to me about this earlier. Tell me a little bit about like what it was like telling your girlfriend and um, just kind of how that went in, in terms of kind of opening up to her for the first time. Totally. Yeah. We'd been dating for quite a while. I think, you know, I, I was struggling with the addiction when I first met her. And I think, you know, it's not really a, a first date topic <laughs> that you uh, end up talking about. Yeah. Um, but I knew at some point, you know, once I started to date her that I, I was going to open up to her, her about it, especially as our relationship progressed. And, you know, if, especially if we're planning on getting married and that I was, I was scared too, because I, I, you never know how people are going to react if it's like they're, you know, sometimes it relates to just their family culture that they were raised in. Um, and I knew that she had a good family, but I just didn't know if she was just, you know, had been taught by her parents that if you meet somebody with an addiction to pornography, then you got to like move away from them immediately. Um, and, and luckily I, I really did not have that, that situation. And um, so I, I remember going to a 12 step meeting and we were talking about the topic of, of opening up. I think it was that step 13, the extra step about having support people. And I, the spirit just kind of overcame me and told me like, you need to tell her tonight. Um, this is the night that you need to do it. And so, you know, all credit to, to God for uh, giving me the right timing there. Um, so I, I texted her in that very meeting and I said, hey, like, is it okay if I pick you up and we go talk about something? Um, and when I, and I, and I felt the spirit all throughout this process, really helping me to know that I was doing the right thing, uh, and really helped to subside a lot of that fear. Um, so definitely try to include God, but I, I picked her up and, you know, we started to have a casual conversation, um, and we went to a place, you know, where we could be alone and, and be at peace. And, uh, I remember as, as soon as I, you know, I opened up and I just, I just told her, Hey, like, I just want to tell you about something that's major in my life. Cause you're someone that's important to me. Um, but I am struggling with an addiction to pornography and this is my, you know, this is a little bit of my past and this is where I am right now. And after I said that she, she told me she was smiling, which is kind of weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> cause I didn't imagine her smile, but she said, I knew that you were going to, you were going to share this with me today. Uh, I got a feeling earlier in the day, you know, was, I think it was about 9 p.m. when I was talking to her about this and she was like about 7 p.m. I just had a feeling that you were going to tell me that you'd been struggling with pornography. That is a feeling that came over me and she said she felt peaceful about it as well. I, I, my personal belief is that that's, that's the Holy Ghost, right? Uh, the constant companion preparing that experience to take place. I, man, I, I know it doesn't happen like that for everybody, but I was, I was sure grateful and knew that God really did care uh, about opening up to her because of how he let that situation go down. Um, and it really started our interaction with my addiction and, and our relationship really on the right foot. Yeah, that's so cool, man. I, I love hearing just these stories about, you know, one person or the other just being prepared or inspired in some way to kind of accept either part of this addiction or like a hard moment or a hard point. So I love that. And I think that just really tells me in so many ways, just that like, 
don't know it, it tells me that god like knows us all like so individually and and um and it's things like that that really build my testimony in like a lot of ways just those little tender mercies yeah i mean to add a little book of mormon element to that i was reading in uh first nephi 11 and uh, it's where the spirit is is guiding him to understand you know his father's vision um uh, helping nephi to understand his father's vision um, and it's pretty cool because nephi says he's talking to the spirit face to face um and you know that he's in the likeness of a man um and what's really cool is when the spirit addresses him he, he says nephi and you know it's just one one word but he, he knows his name um and to, that hit me really hard he just said nephi you know or whatever your name is matt or carson he knows exactly like the elements that are going in in our life and so when we have these super complex issues that relate to an addiction with pornography super sensitive things you need the holy ghost because he he understands the complexities even better than we do he knows how to align timing and and the right words to say um, when we're talking about sensitive issues like opening up with with other people. Yeah, that's awesome. I couldn't agree more. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, just to wrap up this interview, this kind of conversation that we've had today, I just have like one question that I want to ask you, um, which is, I mean, what, imagining someone who's just really early in their recovery, you know, what, what advice or thoughts or general counsel would you have for them um, you know, on, on moving forward. Yeah. My first question then would be the question that my bishop asked me when I was at in MBYU Hawaii, which is how is your study of the Book of Mormon going? Um, I just, that, that can't be overstated. So I'd ask him how they're doing with that. And if they said, you know, I try and I'm just not getting in that good of a study or I just get them in every couple of days, I would, I would personally just want to sit with them and help them to be able to, to study the Book of Mormon um well every day and and make it such a pivotal part of their life to me that's the best advice that that any person can have um when in this addiction and mainly for the fact that um to me it helps me respond to temptations properly uh, when i see something that i don't want to see as i'm going about my day and when i would typically be tempted to to go right into a mindset of viewing pornography uh, the days that I've already read the Book of Mormon, there is, there's this shield that I, it stands in the way of me thinking those thoughts. And I, I just, I don't know, like, I, I'm not fully recovered uh, by any means. Um, and I still struggle with this addiction, you know, on a day-to-day basis. And um, I, I will never let that element, you know, leave um, my recovery. And so I would hope that that person would try to include that in their life. It's amazing, man. I've really appreciated hearing your testimony about the Book of Mormon and about that. And, and I think that advice really will go a long way um, in the recovery for sure. Carson, I really appreciate you, you know, sitting down with me today. I'm, you know, giving your, your thoughts on this podcast. And I, I know that like your vulnerability and like what you shared today will, will help other people. Yeah. And it's a, it's really a help to me as well. So I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. We would love for you to rate and review this podcast as well as share it with everyone you know. For information about the church's 12-step and support meetings, please visit arp.churchofjesuschrist.org. 
We encourage everyone to find a sponsor or support person. If you have any questions, feedback, are looking for a sponsor, or would like to be a sponsor, please contact us at sobrietypodcast at gmail.com. We are always looking for more guests. So if you or anyone you know would like to be interviewed, please contact us. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.